Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pastor David with We Are Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways that we do that is through the reading and teaching of the Word of God. So I pray that this challenges you to take your faith to the next level and that you find freedom in every area that you are seeking. Enjoy the message. We're going to be coming out of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and today we're actually going to finish chapter 4. I'm going to actually go from verse 17 all the way to verse 32. We're going to close out chapter 4, and we will be ready for chapter 5 after that. Um, Last week, we picked back up in Ephesians, and we walked through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, and we talked about um, the importance of guarding our unity in the faith, right? Paul lays out this extensive set of instructions for us to, to guard our unity in, in, the, in the body of Christ. Why? For the, for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. He, when, he, when he goes from transitioning from talking about the wealth of the believer and then talking about the walk of the believer, he, he immediately starts with unity within the body of Christ because he understands that we cannot walk as believers, if we don't have unity within the body of Christ, we cannot grow to our fullest potential or accomplish the mission that God has us if there is discord and division and, um, within the body of Christ. We are to be members of one body carrying out the mission of God. He says things like always be humble and gentle. He tells us to make allowance for one another's faults, to bind ourselves together in peace, to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit and to grow in our knowledge of God's son. Right. He's given us these instructions on how we can maintain unity in the faith and how we can continue to grow. Then he told us when we do that, he says this, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So, Paul says, listen, first and foremost, when he went through the, the fivefold ministry, he talks about the purpose of the fivefold ministry being to equip the, uh, God's saints to do the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. And Paul says that that's going to continue to happen until we, we grow to such unity in our faith, right, that we will no longer be immature like children tossed and blown by the winds in the way. So Paul says that, that, that your maturing and your growth comes from, from being a church who is united, A church that can speak the truth in love and help each other grow to the fullest potential so that the whole body can can complete its own special work, right? As it does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So Paul started us off in the walk of the believer being one as a walk that is united, that is united for, for, for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. One that works hard to make sure that this body stays united by making allowance for each other's faults, being humble, binding ourselves together in peace, right? Making, making every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit and growing in our knowledge of God's son, growing and knowing Jesus more and more and more. And so today, I want to continue in our walk through Ephesians. We're going to go, like I said, chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Um, Paul is going to 
going to talk about four different things. He's going to mention four different things about the Christian walk here. Um, four different things that are, are, are the, the Christian walk is supposed to look like. First, uh, main point, Paul is going to talk about the contrast of the Christian walk. The contrast of the Christian walk. Verse 17, Paul says this. He says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Let me read that one more time. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Paul starts by saying, if we're going to have a heavenly walk, that walk needs to look different than how the world walks, right? He tells us that there should be something different about the church of the living God than the culture of, of this dying world, right? He tells us, he says, walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Now that term, when he's saying Gentiles, he, first of all, he's not just, he's not talking to just a Jewish church. He's talking of, to a church that is made up of Jewish and Gentile converts, but they're living in a city that is predominantly predominantly Gentile population. And so when Paul is saying walk no longer as the Gentiles walk, he's saying walk no longer as people who uh, live apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And he, when he talks about our walk, he's talking about the conduct of a believer, how we conduct ourselves and how we live out our lives. And Paul says that if we're to have a heavenly walk, it needs to look different than the walk of, of this world. There should, we should walk to a different different sound. We should look different. There should be something that stands out and that is different about the church of the living God than the culture that is around us, right? Um, my, my daughter, Janessa, a couple weeks ago, she came up to me and asked me, she said, Daddy, can I, can I download Snapchat on my phone? And I was like, no, you're not, you're not getting Snapchat. There's been a rule from the beginning. I said, no, you're not getting Snapchat. Those messages that get sent to you, they automatically disappear. Like, I can't, you know, I can't check them and this. And I said, no, you, you can't have Snapchat. Just a rule in my house. Like, she's lucky that she's already got a cell phone and, 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 and we're already giving her more freedom to go out with her friends and to go skating and go and get her nails done. And little by little, the more we can trust her, the more freedom we will give her, right? And um, so it's, it's one of those things where I just said, no, you, you can't have Snapchat. To which she replied, but all of my friends have Snapchat, Right? It reminded me of when I was a kid and I wanted to do something and I would tell my dad, hey, dad, can I get this or can I get that? He said, no, you can't have that. And I'm like, well, everybody else got it. You know what I mean? But, but I replied to her. I said, I said, huh? <laughs> yeah, got it. Everybody else got it. I'm from the South. All right. <laughs> to which she replies, she, she tells me, but everybody else is, has it or everybody else is, is doing this. To which I replied, we're not everybody else. Right. We're not everybody else, but their parents let them. I'm not their parents, and, and, and you're not their daughter. You are, you're my daughter. You belong to my family, so you will live uh, under the, the rules and the guidelines that I place in, in my household, right? Which is difficult for, for a child to understand because when you look at culture and you see a trend and you see a trend that culture is, 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 is doing, you just think this is the okay thing to do. And I explained to her, it's not necessary. Snapchat's not wrong. It's not, it's not necessarily wrong. I just don't know that you can handle the freedom that comes with something. I don't know that you, you, you have the capacity right now to have something like that in, in your life. But, but how many of you know that, that just like a child who can't understand how I have different rules and different guidelines in order to keep her safe, right, to protect her flourishings, us too sometimes, we, kept, we question the, the things that our Heavenly Father asks us not to do. Why? Because he wants us to walk 
in a way that looks different from this world. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's okay or doesn't, doesn't mean it's right, right? Paul says this. He says this in Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed to this world, right? He's telling, us, he's telling us, don't be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What ultimately that word, not to, be, to not be conformed, it's, it's a potter terminology. It's, 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 it's the picture of a potter who would take clay and mold this, the, he would mold the clay into something that he would want it to be. So when he's saying, don't be conformed to this world, he's saying, don't let this world shape you into something that, that you were never meant to be. And this is exactly what Paul is, is telling us. Our heavenly walk should look different from the way that this world walks. There should be some standards that we live by, right? We should walk just because culture is going a certain direction doesn't mean that we should go that direction. And in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus lived in a, in a, in a very sinful environment. If you don't know what, what, what it was like in Ephesus, I've, I've explained it a couple of different times, but, but Ephesus was known for their ointments. I talked about how they were advanced in, in, in medicines. They were known for healing ointments and things that nobody had ever heard of before. They were known for their, they were known for fashion. They had the finest linens and made the finest clothes. And the main thing that made Ephesus famous was the temple of the temple of Diana was right direct center in Ephesus. And it was a huge temple in, in, in the, at the temple of Diana. They worshiped the goddess of infertility, which was, which was Diana. And so it was very popular in Ephesus for sensuality to free love and sex. And they would, they would have the, everything in, in, in their culture was, it was just, this is what we did. It, it's okay. There was no holiness. There was no, no, no purity. This just was normal and it was right for people to come and worship the, the, the goddess Diana, the goddess of infertility, and then they would just freely have sex, right? And so the culture was, it was fast paced and seeing didn't look like sin to them. This was just the way that they live, much like what we have here in the United States of America, right? Where our culture is going, there's no need for marriage, right? It's okay to, it's okay to live out, have sex outside of marriage. It's okay to do this. It's okay to, because culture does it and we grow up and we're trained from a young age to see this as something that is just normal. There's really no, there's, there's no conviction there, right? And so this is, Paul is making this point. And he's telling the church in Ephesus, he's saying, man, I know you, you live in a place right now where everything around you seems like it's okay to do, and this is the culture to do it. But he said, let your walk be something that's different than the Gentiles, right? Um, he writes, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 12. He says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I love this. Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers, first and foremost, he's calling them aliens and strangers, meaning you, you don't belong to this world, right? You, are, you live in this world, but you're not of this world. And he said, I, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against what? Against your soul. 
And he's telling them, speaking to a people that live in, in, in a time and age where this, this isn't new. Like what we see now in the United States of America or what we've seen in the 70s where it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, like this stuff has been going on since, since the beginning of time. But he's saying that these fleshly lusts um, um, wage war against your soul. That it's not, he's not just concerned with, with how this might make you feel or what type of, uh, 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 what you call it, comes from, what type of damage comes from it. He's, he's concerned with your soul. And he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. I love that because he's saying they will slander you for standing for righteousness, right? For believing the truth of God, for, for, for being holy and wanting to live a pure life, right? They'll slander you for that. They will slander you and call you evildoers, right? They will, because you stand for what is right, they will call you a person who is evil. And that's what we see. You can't even post your full conviction on Facebook without getting drilled by at least three or four people who just want to call you a, a self-righteous bigot or, a, you know, a judgmental or, you know, you're just evil. You don't really care about people. Like, you know what I mean? And, and you get slandered and called evildoers because... Because you stand for something that is right. But he says, but they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He said, they'll slander you and bless you at the same time. Because even though they'll call you an evildoer, your good deeds, and, and because you stood out in excellence and in purity and in good deeds, they'll have no choice but to glorify God because they won't be able to actually, the, the, the evidence of you being evil won't be there, but the evidence of you having good deeds and righteous character will stand out at the end time, right? He says, so they won't have no choice but to glorify God for that. Um, the second thing Paul talks about in our walk is that our walk has a control center. Every one of our walks as a believer and even an unbeliever has a control center. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, where is this control center? He says this control center is our minds, right? Paul says to, to walk, uh, uh, that your walk should look different from the Gentiles who walk in the futility of their minds. Paul's going to begin to break down what it looks like and, and how it's not actually the lifestyle that, that, that hinders your walk, but it's your thinking that, that keeps you bound to a lifestyle that hinders your walk, right? That, that the way we live, we live, at, the way we live and how we walk is a direct result um, to, to what we think. And he says this in verse 18, he says, they having been darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. He says they have been darkened. First, he says they walk in the futility of their minds. And then he says they have been darkened in their understanding, meaning they walk in spiritual blindness, right? So it starts because they walk in the futility of their minds and they have been darkened in their understanding, meaning they don't have the ability to understand or see um, 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 uh, uh, right from wrong, right? Or truth from, 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 from lies. And so he explains this, Paul explains this, this term of uh, spiritual blindness in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Watch this. He says, in, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul says, the God of this world, being Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He has darkened their understanding. He has darkened their understanding. They're incapable of seeing. He has blinded the mind 
of the unbelieving so that they may, they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So he's saying ultimately that, that they, they're spiritually blind, right? In their minds, they're incapable of being able to understand right from wrong or, or to even see the light of the, gloss, the, the gospel. Back to Ephesians 4 verse 19. He says this, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So Paul says, because they walk in the futility of their minds, because their minds have been darkened, and because they are ignorant of the knowledge of Christ, three things have happened to them. First, he says they have become calloused. They have become calloused. Why preach so much about making sure you are sensitive to the spirit? and obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That when, when, when the Spirit convicts you of sin, like, like partner with the, the Spirit to overcome that sin, right? Because why? Because the more we play with it, the more we touch it, the more calloused our hearts become, and we're in danger of, 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 of falling away. We're in danger of getting to a place where, where, we, where, where we're almost incapable of coming back to God, right? It's, it's this danger. And he says, because they walk in the futility of their minds, because their minds have been darkened and they're ignorant of the knowledge of Christ, meaning they don't know Christ. They don't actually know what it, uh, uh, understand what it means to truly know who Christ is, that they become callous. They're walking around with dead consciousness, meaning that sin is no, no longer brings them sorrow. It becomes something that they celebrate, Right? When we were in the world, we celebrated sin. One of the, the, the one thing that assures you that you are saved and is the assurance of your salvation is the conviction that comes when you have, when, when you uh, fall in to see a, a, a sinner, uh, an unbeliever and a believer are both capable of committing the same exact sin, right? But for the believer, that sin brings sorrow. It grieves the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a remorse and a godly sorrow that comes when a, when a believer sins, Right? Why? Because we're to hate sin as God hates sins. So the spirit that lives in you hates sin, right? And so we're both capable, believers and unbelievers are both capable of sinning, right? But the one thing that separates the believer from the unbeliever is, is the sorrow, the grieving that comes when we grieve the Holy Spirit because God hates sin. And Paul says they've become callous. They have dead consciences. They have dead consciences. And so we, 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 got, we got to make sure we don't play with, with this walk because we don't want our hearts to become calloused. We don't want to get to a place where we, we, we're no longer trying to be freed from sin, but we, we begin to celebrate sin. You understand what I'm saying? Secondly, he says they've given them, themselves over to sensuality. They've given themselves over to sensuality. I talked about it in Ephesus sensuality, right? They've given themselves over to, 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 that's why it talks about that their God is their, it's their appetite. It's their appetite, right? That there's this hunger for something sensual and they just feed it and they feed it and they feed it. And, and now they're no longer fighting against it, but they have given themselves over to it. This means whatever sensual desires or sexual desires they have, they just, they just, they have they've given themselves to it. There's no fight. There's no wrestle against it. And 30 says they practice every kind of impurity with greediness, meaning they want more and more and more of an impure life, more and more and more. So they're controlled. They're, they're, in other words, Paul's saying they're not, they're not controlled by their lifestyle, but they're controlled by, by how they think, right? Because their hearts have been calloused and because they walk in spiritual blindness and in the futility of their minds, they've given themselves over to this. They are, they're, they're, they're slaves 
to the lifestyle because they're slaves in their minds. They don't know what it looks like and understand what it looks like, and they don't understand how to become free. It's a story that I read about this, this kid who walked by this farm, and he seen this pet fox. This kid really wanted this pet fox, so he walked up, and, and, and the, the fox was friendly, and so he, he picked up this fox, and he, he stole this fox from the farmer. And the kid went walking down the road. Well, the, the farmer comes, and he notices that the fox is gone, and somebody said, well, I seen a kid who was walking by and he stopped by your farm and then he went that direction. So the farmer goes and he finds this kid, but the kid sees the farmer coming. So he goes and puts on this big fluffy coat and he sticks the fox inside of his coat. So the farmer goes up to him and he says, have you seen my fox? And the kid said, no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen it. And the farmer said, are you sure you haven't seen the fox? Because somebody told me that you were at my farm. And he said, no, I wasn't at your farm. I never seen the fox. He said, are you are you sure, like, you can tell me the truth? You need to tell me the truth if you have, if, if, if you've seen the fox and if you stole the fox, like, I'll, I'll forgive you for it if, if you did. And the kid just in denial and denial for a couple, couple, couple different times keeps, keeps denying that he has seen this fox or that he has stolen this fox. And so the farmer says, okay, and he walks away and he, le he leaves. Well, after the farmer walks away and he leaves, the kid drops to his knees the whole time this kid was denying that he had seen the fox or had the fox, the fox underneath his coat was eating away at his chest cavity until it got to his heart and, 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 and eventually devoured the heart of this kid until it killed him. And it's the same thing with us when it comes to sin, right? We live in denial of sin. We live in denial of God. We live in denial of the freedom, right? And, and, and we don't understand the same way the y'all are like, dang, that was kind of harsh. <laughs> No, but it is. It's, it's, that, it's that harsh. Even though this kid died a physical death, we experience the same kind of, kind of spiritual death. And the whole time God is saying, it's okay, I'll forgive you. It's okay, I'll forgive you. It's okay, I'll forgive you. But we deny the hand of God. We deny the freedom that comes from God. We deny being able to be forgiven or to be set free. And it eventually eats at our hearts until it, until it kills us. That's what happens, though, when we play with sin and we think that we can keep touching it and keep touching it and we keep touching it until we don't have the sensitivity that we need to walk in obedience to God and live a heavenly and walk in a heavenly walk. Right. <clears throat> he goes on to say this in verse 20, verses 20 through 23. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul says, first and foremost, you did not learn Christ in this way. What he didn't say is you didn't learn about Christ, right? This is Paul talking about your relationship with Christ being heightened. He's saying, you did not come to know Christ. You didn't, you didn't establish a relationship with Christ in this way. You did, not, you, you, you did not heighten your relationship with Christ in, in this way. It's not head knowledge that he's talking about. How many of you know you can grow in your knowledge of Scripture and still decrease in your spiritual intimacy with God, right? You can grow in your accumulation of, 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 of remembered Bible verses and still decrease in spiritual growth, right? You can grow cold from God and, 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 and memorize the whole entire Bible. This is why the Jews who knew the Torah from front to back, word for word, and didn't even have to look at it, 
couldn't recognize the one that the, that, the, that, the, that the scriptures pointed to when he stood in their faces. It's possible for you to grow in your knowledge about Jesus Christ, but not grow in your relationship with him. Y'all understand that, right? <clears throat> and he says, you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. So this is what he's saying right here. When he's talking about, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, this is us being in, in relationship with God. Going back to our minds, when we're talking about our minds, he is talking about, about knowing Jesus Christ, right? But when you know Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's not something that you just know from a place of head knowledge. This is what you know in experience. The same way we knew what it, what it felt like to live a life of sin, we should know what it feels like to live a life in relationship with Jesus, right? And it ain't about us growing in head knowledge, but it's growing in knowledge of, of Christ and him, him teaching us. This is why Jesus said, if, if you come to me, all you who are weary, and take my yoke upon you, right? When he's saying to take my yoke upon you, when you're yoked to somebody, you're in relationship with somebody. So he's saying, come into relationship, take my yoke upon, upon you, and let me teach you, right? So he's saying, when you, when you enter into relationship with me, I'll teach you what it, what it looks like, right? That's why I always say it's not for us to try to figure out this walk on our own. It's simply living in relationship with Jesus Christ and we let him teach us, right? I didn't know how to be a, how to be a father or even work a full-time job, but I let him teach me, right? I didn't know how to start a business, right? But, but I let him teach me. I didn't know how to be a pastor, but I let him teach me. I didn't know how to do any of the things that I did, but in relationship with Jesus Christ, he taught me how to do the things that, that I have done. And this is how we learn to walk and live a heavenly walk, not in our own strength and not in our own, you know, uh, straining and striving, but in relationship with him. He said, you have heard him, meaning you, you, you have listened to him and you have been taught in him. You have learned in relationship with him how to live out a heavenly walk in relationship with him. He sums up 21 by, verse 21 by saying this. He says, just as truth is in Jesus. Let me go back up and read that. Um, you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. So he says that you learn him just as truth is in, in Jesus, right? If we want to heighten our relationship with Jesus, we have to be committed to what? We have to be committed to truth. We cannot heighten our relationship with Jesus if we're offended by the truth and don't want to get close to the truth. It is only when we accept the truth, right, that we can fully accept who Jesus wants us to be and begin to grow and allow the truth to, to change us. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, right? So when we accept the truth, it's us, we're literally accepting, we're accepting Jesus because he, he is truth, right? Then what does he say? You shall know the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free, right? What is he setting us free from? Our old way of living, right? The, the ways of the world. He's setting us free from this, from this carnal mind that keeps, us, that keeps us bound, right? He says in verse 22, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Y'all get this? It's how we think. It's, in, it's, 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 it's the way we think. It's in our minds that keeps us bound and enslaved to a life that God never called us to live. So he says we need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He tells us to lay aside the old self. We got we to put off the old self 
and we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. How do we renew our minds? The spirit, right? The spirit also, the word of God, right? Because the, the spirit, he says, what, is, what does the spirit do? What did he say? I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. What is he going to do? He's going to convict the world of sin. His purpose was to convict the world of sin, and he will guide you what? Into all what? Truth, right? So the Spirit convicts us of sin, and then he guides us into all truth. And what does truth do? Sets us free, right? Y'all get this, right? This is why we got we to gotta be committed to truth. So if we live a life in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to renew our minds, all we have to do is let the Spirit convict us of what he's trying to change right now in this season. I say it all the time. You don't have to overcome everything at once. Sanctification is a lifelong process, but there should be a, a desire to ask the Spirit what new work, to let the Spirit do, be doing a new work in you. If, you. if the Spirit isn't doing a work in you right now, then you're not in relationship with him, right? That's the reality. If I ask you, what is God, what is God changing in your life right now? What is it that God is changing in your life right now? You should be able to answer God is working on me in this area. God is, is helping me to be a better husband. Right now, the Lord is, is teaching me how to connect with my children. Right now, the Lord is teaching me how to walk out forgiveness when people are slandered. There should be some kind of work of the spirit that he is doing in your life. What does he do? He convicts us of sin, and then he guides us into all truth, right? That's why I say we got to be committed to truth. Because when I want to smack somebody in the face, Jesus tells me to pray for that person and forgive them and to bless them. And it's only when I walk out the truth that's within the word of God that he grows me and grows me and grows me and sets me free of a carnal mind, right? Right? What is the, it's, it's, it's in our minds. It's, it's, it's how we think. Does the Bible say, as a man thinks, so is he, Right? So how you think, what you think, and how your mind is, is, is who you are, right? It's how you, will live out, how you will live out your life. The third thing Paul talks about is the clothing of the Christian. The clothing of the Christian. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness and the holiness of truth. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So in verse 22, Paul tells us to put off the old self, right? But now here in verse 24, he's telling us to put on the new self. What is he saying? He's saying exchange your wardrobe. Take off unrighteousness and put on righteousness. And this isn't righteousness that we have, but we're taking on the righteousness of Christ, right? He's saying God has given you a new wardrobe. And you're to, 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 to put, put that wardrobe on that's in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So how do we take off the old self and put on the new self? Like, first and foremost, we, we have to get to a place where we live consciously in, in the freedom that Christ has given us, right? This is where we get to a place where we know I don't have to live like that. Because, like I said, the, the wrestle with, with, between the flesh and the spirit that's the assurance of your salvation. Your wrestle against sin, the thing that you are trying to overcome and maybe have yet to overcome and you failed to overcome it, that's the assurance of, of, of your salvation right there because you're in the fight and you're wrestling against this thing, right? And sometimes it takes years sometimes to overcome certain things that you're struggling. Sometimes it's, it's instantaneous. Sometimes you stop wrestling against it and come to a service and, and the anointing hits you and somebody prays for you and you walk away transformed and changed and set free of something because God works in, he, he works in different ways. But if, but if we want to understand 
how we put on the righteousness of Christ, we have to live consciously in the freedom that is given to us, right? So I have to look every time I face a situation that I know I'm, 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 this thing hinders me or it's coming after my purity, I have to live consciously in the freedom that Christ has given me. I have to understand that I don't have to do that. I take on the righteousness of Christ and I put, I put off the old self. I'm exchanging the old way. I'm exchanging grave clothes for robes of righteousness. Y'all get this, right? What's the first thing an inmate does when he's being released from prison? He changes out his clothes, right? He changes, he changes, he takes off the jumpsuit, whether it's orange, whether it's striped, whatever, white, whatever color that jumpsuit he has on. Before that man walks out as a free man, he exchanges the, the, the prison clothes for the clothes that represent his freedom, right? Why? Because prison clothes, uh, uh, they represent their, your imprisonment, right? A lot of us, are, like, we're walking around wearing prison clothes in a free world, right? And Paul is saying, exchange your wardrobe. Exchange your wardrobe because we don't have to, we're no longer slaves to sin, right? We're no longer slaves to sin. Think about this for a second. The wardrobe you put on changes everything, right? Get a brand new outfit, look good, feel good. Let's keep it real, right? You, I could be in the worst mood. Let me go get my hair cut and go to the mall. Oh, I'm happy. I'm ready to go home and spend all night with the kids. And <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good, right? Some good music and some, some nice clothes and a haircut. It changes everything. But think about how one, one set of clothing can change everything about a man. An ordinary man can put on a robe and becomes the judge, Right? An ordinary man can put on a blue uniform and he becomes a cop and walks in a position of authority. An ordinary man can put on the right uniform and now he's, he's, he's a Marine, right? You might walk past this person and never look twice at him, but with the right uniform on, you, you, you will salute that man, right? And this is what Paul is telling us. He's saying, man, an, an, an ordinary man can put on the righteousness that comes from a relationship with Christ and Satan has to go, right? An ordinary man can change his, his, his walk and walk in, in, in the authority that comes from putting on the righteousness of Christ and, 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 and it changes everything about you. So Paul is saying we got to think about this as, 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 as something that we put off the old man and we're taking on the new man, and, and that new man that we come comes with righteousness and holiness in truth. Amen? Amen. Man, that was a tweetable, man. I said a couple tweetables right there. Y'all should have been. Tag me in that. I was playing. <laughs> the fourth thing that um, Paul talks about is the conduct of the Christian. Why, we got an instrumental. Yeah, Daniel, come on. It's a little dry up here. <clears throat> the fourth and final thing that Paul talks about is the conduct of the Christian walk. Paul lists five things in chapter four that is reflective of a person who has put on the new self, right? Remember, in the key, let me, let me say this, the key, dang, cuz, you all right? She's like, the key to, 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 to putting off the old self and taking on the new self, the key that unlocks that is renewing your mind. It's, it's renewing your mind. You're incapable of putting on the new self if you don't understand in your mind what, what the new self looks like. We've got to renew our minds. Um, but Paul is five things in chapter four that's reflective of a person who has put on the new self. Verse 25, first he tells us to stop lying. He says, stop lying. Verse 25, he says, therefore, lay aside falsehood, speak 
truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. I love that Paul just doesn't just tell us to stop lying, but he gives us the antidote to, to overcoming lying, right? Paul is saying, stop lying. Instead, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one body. So he's saying, you want to overcome lying, just start speaking the truth, right? Tell the truth even when it hurts. I remember, and Lauren, she tells her testimony all the time, so I don't care about telling it up here. When me and Lauren first got married, she had a really bad lying problem. She, she really did. And one day, when, she, when, when, when we made the decision that I was like, we're either going to start growing with God right now, or we're going to end up divorced because I'm miserable. In our first year, we were both miserable, fighting constantly, 24-7. And we just focused on ourselves. I'm going to focus on my relationship with God. I'm not going to try to fight for this marriage. I'm going to fight for my relationship with God because the reality is I'm not in love with God right now. I can't love you because I'm not in love with God. And so I devoted to deepening my relationship with God. She devoted to deepening her relationship with God. And she came to me one night and she said, I have to be honest about a lot of things that I've lied about. I've realized I, I do have a lying problem. She started confessing all kinds of stuff that she said to me that I had no idea were lie, what was lies. But what was she doing? She was overcoming lying by telling the truth, even when it hurts. And Paul tells us to tell the truth. Each one of you with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one another. Y'all understand that. We got it. That's what I'm fighting for unity. We're members of one another. We belong to each other. So tell the truth to each other. Secondly, he tells us to control our anger, to control our anger. Verses 26 and 27, he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Boy, that smacks me around every time I read that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Notice he doesn't, tell us, he doesn't tell us don't be angry or don't get angry. He said, be angry and don't sin. He said, this, this going to be, God has created us with feelings. It's, if we didn't have anger, we wouldn't have righteous anger against sin, right? Like, but he's telling us, he's saying, be angry and yet do not sin. And how does he tell us that we overcome being, expressing anger in a sinful way? He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? If I was angry with somebody or I expressed my anger with somebody to overcome uh, uh, expressing my anger in the wrong way, I'm not going to let the sun go down on my anger. What's that mean? That means when I, when I said something that I shouldn't have said to my wife or we've been in a fight in an argument instead of going to bed and allowing the division to be there, I'm not going to let the sun go down on my, on my anger and I'm going to attempt to establish peace and make peace in my home, right? And I'm going to I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to apologize for what I did wrong. Not a, and let me tell y'all this. This is not an apology, y'all. You know what? I apologize for allowing what you did to get me upset. <laughs> That's not an apology. I should have never acted like that. I let you get me outside of my character. I apologize for allowing you to get me like that. No, an apology is, 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 is and this is what, what my... My sponsor told me early on when I was working 12 steps, he said, you need to ask for forgiveness with zero expectation of that person. Because uh, uh, sometimes we apologize, we expect the other, other person to say sorry too. I remember doing that with Lauren. Man, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have flipped out on you like that. It's like, that's okay, I forgive you. And walked away, I'm like, well, what about all the stuff you did, right? Because I ex put an expectation on her. But, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
Why? Because you will give the devil an opportunity or you will give a foothold to the devil. This means I don't want to allow the devil to be able to come into my family, into my ministry. And that's why I've sat down and had conversations with people here at the church that I know they have got offended by something that I said and didn't even know I offended them or, or whatever. You know, they don't think I got enough time for them. Or, and, and I could just let them feel how they feel, right? But instead, I don't want to give the devil an opportunity to divide what he has placed underneath me. And so I want to sit down and I want to have a conversation. And I want to make peace because I don't want to give the devil an opportunity in any area of my life. Third thing he tells us is to stop stealing. He says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Again, person doesn't just stop stealing, but rather he should work with his own hands, right? Why? So that you have something to share. So instead of stealing, you're going to work with your hands and then you're going to share what you have with other people. This is how we over, this is how I overcame it. I was the unknown Red Bull thief of all Mapco locations. They had my picture at every Mapco with a Red Bull going in my pocket. I would walk in and steal like 16 of them. I had a really bad problem where I could not walk past a cooler in a gas station without not even thinking about it. I'm loading my pockets with Red Bulls. For real, like stealing was, it was something that, it was a stronghold that was on my life. I couldn't control it. But how did I overcome it? I started working with my hands and then using what God has blessed me with to bless other people, right? And I became an honest man who gave instead of stole. You see what I'm saying? One, two, three. Fourth, he says, watch how you talk. Verse 29, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. I love that. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So he's telling us, Pretty much don't let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. This ain't just cussing or cursing, right? These are words that chop people down. And he says, don't beat people down with what comes out of your mouth. He said, but instead, give words as that are good for edification. What is that? To build up. Build people up with your speech. You want to overcome being negative and pessimistic and always pointing out negative things in a person's life? Start building them up. Start edif- Use your words to edify and build people up. Why is it? So that it will give grace to those who hear. Right? Extensions of God's grace by the way you speak to, into other people's lives to edify them. Y'all get this? Y'all get this concept? Fifth and final thing he says he tells us is to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verses 30 through 32, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's verse 30. Y'all get this? Don't grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like, this is saying, like, don't purposely grieve the Holy Spirit when he has sealed you for the day. Like, he has gave you an assurance of salvation for the day of redemption. He has sealed you. Don't don't grieve him. This isn't, isn't an it. It's a, it's a him, and he has, he has sealed you. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. He said, this, these are things that grieve the Holy Spirit right here. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Like, put that away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So here we are, the first chapter the, the first chapter into the walk of the believer, chapter four. What have we learned so far as Paul has told us about first and foremost, the wealth of the believer, everything that belongs to us and then begins to describe the heavenly walk of the believer. Number one, he tells us to protect unity. Make every effort to bind yourselves together in peace. Why? Because we're members of one body and what's our purpose? To build up the body of Christ. Do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ. We can't build up the body of Christ if we're not united. And then he tells us what it looks like to, to, to live a heavenly walk. And the only way we're capable of, of walking in a heavenly way is if we allow the spirit to renew our minds by being committed to the truth of God. And then what does he say? He goes one by one. If you used to live like this, then start living like that. If you want to overcome this, then do the opposite. We do the opposite of what we do. We do what we don't want to do, what our flesh doesn't want to do. Y'all understand this? If you're still in work with your hands, hey, let me just tell y'all, it ain't about taking personal items from somebody. Some of y'all steal hours at work from companies that pay you to work. And it, this, these are places we got to get deeper convictions as, as, as Christians. I just hit a lot of y'all in the jaw with that one. Jesse's like, yeah, that was me. No, serious. It's the worst thing they could have done is let y'all work from home. <laughs> y'all know y'all only working like 50% of the time from home. But seriously, Huh? <laughs> I ain't trying to lie. But we do the opposite. Why? Because it's a heavenly walk that he's called us to. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about We Are Church, connect with We Are Church, or feel led to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on all social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you, and have a great week.